This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions on managing multiple birthdays, hand-delivering cards, hosting guests with allergies, and apologizing for the first mistake. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on the meaning of etiquette. Coming up... Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. Well, hello. I am not Lizzie Post. Well, I'm Dan Post-Senning, but who are you, mystery woman? (laughs) I am Pooja Gupta-Senning. I'm your wife. Welcome to the show. Why, thank you. It is so good to have you here. (laughs) I'm so excited to be here. I've been thinking about this particular visit ever since we looked at the schedule and saw that Lizzie Post was going to be away for a couple weeks. And I said, who am I going to have on the show to Lizzie? And she said to me, you know, I think your wife, Pooja, would be really good. Aww. I know. And I agree with her. So it was really nice to hear that from her. And I'm also really glad that you said yes, that you'd be willing to come join us. Because in many ways, not only do I think you're going to be good at answering etiquette questions. Why, thank you. But you're also kind of a character on this show. It was the third episode of this show where I had just proposed to you and I talked to our then very young audience about it. That was so strange, by the way. I know. And you've been so brave to let me share some of of my personal life, some of our life with all of our listeners. And I'm really glad that you're here to represent yourself. Sure. I mean, I think that the show has a really beautiful spirit, so it's kind of exciting to be here. I've been in the background getting the 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 background take from you and Lizzie for so long. So it's good to be here. You're often around when I'm going over scripts mm-hmm. or you'll hear me listening to shows that have just aired sort of commenting on, oh, I think we're doing this well. I think we need to do this better. And so I, I get to have a discussion with you about this show. And like I say, it's just it's exciting for me to have you here and to hear you approach this show in your own voice and to share that with our listeners. Well, it's my pleasure. And I'm excited, a little bit nervous, but here we go. Well, talk to me a little bit about what you do professionally, because I think that's going to inform your answers today. And I think it's worth knowing. Sure. I have a practice in Waterbury, Vermont. I am a mental health counselor, and I see clients ranging um, in age from teenagers all the way to adults and, and people who are quite old. And we work on issues of anxiety, depression, and trauma. We don't quite get into anxiety, depression, and trauma here, but we definitely deal with people who are dealing with difficult situations. Yeah. And In thinking about the work that you do and the work that we do here on the show, I think for me, one of the big differences is I know in your practice, you ask people a lot of questions and that the the point in a therapeutic relationship where you actually offer some advice tends to happen 
kind of down the road a little bit. It's, 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 it's a part of the process, but it happens later on. Right. Initially, when you're starting out a therapeutic relationship, you don't want to give people advice because who wants to go to a therapist and the first thing they say is, well, duh, you should just do this. The person would have done that already and they probably would have tried and they probably have failed and that's why they're seeing you. So it's not the smartest entry point into establishing trust. But once you've been meeting with the person and you actually have a, a rapport, you can instill a little bit of insight and a little bit of advice, perhaps. And that can often go a long way of just changing perspective and giving somebody a different um, action that they can take that might evoke future actions and changes, which is a wonderful thing. Well. I want to encourage you and say you're among old friends. We're episode 176 now. <laughs> so I want to dive into that advice part of the therapeutic relationship. Shall we get to some questions? Let's do it. Awesome. Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Today's first question is called Trace Birthdays. And it goes something like this. Lizzie and Dan, I am a huge fan of your podcast. I've been listening since probably the first episode, and I squeal with delight when you give advice that I practice. I'm currently at a loss, however, regarding how to handle birthday party etiquette. My family is throwing a joint 40th birthday in January for yours truly, and my son will be turning one four days later. 
One of my four sister-in-laws shares a birthday with me, and this year is not a milestone for her. However, we expect her to be at the event, which is three hours of past food, drinks, and of course, kids games. There will be appropriate cakes for both me and my son. How can we acknowledge my sister-in-law, especially so she doesn't feel left out, and make it appropriate? I know my husband would especially like to include her. For example, his cousin had a birthday on our wedding day, and he had the bar full of wedding guests sing to her. Thanks in advance. I look forward to hearing your response. Best, Lordy, Lordy, look who's forty. For me, the etiquette comes into play around the communication that happens beforehand. That I, I really think you'd be okay having a joint party. You'd be okay including everyone. You'd also be okay saying if you're the sister-in-law, no, that's quite all right. I want to keep the focus on you, and I want to have my own party at some point. I don't want to be a, a part of another party. I want to do my own thing. Or that would be so nice. I'd love to do it. But for me, the etiquette here starts to come into play when we think about how we talk about it beforehand. I think it's pretty simple. I, I mean, parties are parties, and I think approached with a good spirit, there's there's really no wrong answer. I think be prepared to ask the question of your sister-in-law, you know, would you like us to do something? We'd love to include you. We wanted to check in with you and see what you thought and maybe have a couple of options in mind, ways you might do it. We thought we'd sing happy birthday four times or we'd do a couple of cakes because we plan on doing a car cake that's good for kids. And we want to do some, whatever the particulars are that you come up with. Unless, and this is where I start to wince just a little bit, you feel inspired to surprise her in some way. And being someone who kind of shies away from social gatherings and isn't a big party planner myself, that idea isn't so, so appealing. But I know some people love a surprise party. They love surprising somebody with something celebratory. And and you you could opt to go that route. But my my instinct here would be to talk to your sister-in-law about it and and tell her that you'd like to include her. Talk to your husband and then talk to your sister-in-law. And I think you're going to be in pretty good shape, whatever you all decide to do. I think the same thing. So Lordy, Lordy, look who's 40. It sounds like you're thinking about all the right questions and all the right people. Uh, go ahead and take a moment. Think about what you would like. Think about what your son, your, who's one years old, would like, which, by the way, our daughter Anisha is turning one in about a week and Dan just turned 40. So there's a lot of parallels here. And then go ahead and check in with your sister-in-law and be open to whatever her preferences are. If you feel inspired and if you think she may like it, go out on a limb and try a little surprise, but also just be really kind of courteous about if she is a little more shy. And best of luck. Happy birthdays. What a fine birthday surprise for Jean. A cake and presents from her friends. Everyone thinks the birthday cake looks very pretty. Mmm, mmm. Everyone gets a big piece. Our next question is a belated but great holiday card question. I have Christmas cards for my next-door neighbor. Do I need to actually mail them in order to not be tacky? Thoughts? You know, I kind of think that you could drop them off in person, and that's wonderful because it gives you an excuse to stop by. So that's my first inclination. I like that. I like that personal touch. The only caveat I would add is that you don't want to leave the card in someone's mailbox. That technically you're not supposed to put mail in someone's mailbox. So if you're going to use it as an excuse to touch base, to visit with someone, look for a moment when their light's on. You can walk next door or... If you have to, slip it under the door or something like that. But I, I, I like that idea of using it as an opportunity to make that personal connection with someone. 
I also had a secondary thought on this one, which is that sometimes it's nice to get something in the mail. And even if something is just going next door, if you mail it, it's going to get there within a day or two at the most. Usually mail that moves around within the same post office gets delivered pretty quickly. And there is something about that postmark that sits on the stamp and maybe it's it's something official about it. Maybe it's a memory from my childhood, but there's something about receiving something in the mail that I think also has its own quality. So I don't think it would be bad form to mail the card either. I think you're really okay either way here. Seize that opportunity to make that personal connection or send it in the mail and have it arrive with all of the other holiday cards. I agree. Getting something in in the mail is, is the best. So if Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We want to be a stickler for the rule. Go ahead and put it in in the mailbox for your mail person to pick it up, to drop it off to their mailbox. And also stop by in person because that's just the best also. So I don't think there's anything tacky about either option here. You're in great shape making the effort and getting that holiday card to your neighbor. Thanks for the question. Our next question is a long one called Allergy All Out. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Your show is so helpful. I had a misunderstanding of etiquette being exclusive, but after listening to your podcast, I now know that the whole point of etiquette is to be inclusive. The tips you share are so relevant and practical. I also started saying, I love it. Thank you. I have a friend and her boyfriend coming to visit. They're currently on a trip around the world and have made their way to my corner of the U.S. They've been living cheaply in hostels and without creature comforts during their trip and want to make them feel comfortable. There's one problem, though. My friend's boyfriend is allergic to cats, and my husband and I have two. We are going to clean carefully with a HEPA vacuum, give them our bedroom that is higher off the ground than our office sleeping space, and plan day trips so they are not in the cat apartment the whole time. Sometimes when I've been to people's houses, they have put their pets in another part of the house, and I asked my husband if we should keep the cats in the office and the adjoining bathroom where their litter box is during the visit. But we don't feel this would be right, my husband especially, since one cat also has a seizure disorder, and we don't want to make her too nervous by restricting her movement in a way that she's not used to. I left my friend a message with several questions so that I could plan for her visit. For example, the foods from home that they have missed during the trip. I also asked them if they felt comfortable with our plan for the cats, which is allowing them to move through the apartment except in the room where our friends are sleeping. She did not respond to the message, but we have since talked regularly and I have not asked about it again. It is completely possible that she just did not think about it because she's busy traveling and had other things going on. I want my friends to feel comfortable, but also want our husband and pets to be comfortable. I want to make them feel comfortable, and I know allergies are not comfortable at all. What is the appropriate thing to do? Thank you. Ah, a question (laughs) about cat allergies. This is a topic that I use as an example when I'm talking about etiquette. Really? It is. I sometimes say when we're talking about food allergies and people are asking about dietary restrictions and talking to hosts about dietary restrictions – 
are you really allergic? You have to be honest with yourself. Are you allergic to cats or are you allergic to cats? Exactly. Because there is a spectrum. There are people who are, are so allergic to something it poses a real and genuine health risk. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where we really don't like certain foods. Cilantro tastes like soap. <laughs> or or we really dislike cats. It makes us uncomfortable and squigs us out to be somewhere with all that cat hair and cat dander. Mm-hmm. And where in that gray area between discomfort and a health concern, someone's allergy lies, I think is a question only they know. And I'm hearing in our our host here a question about where on that spectrum their guest lies. Right. That they, they know there's this cat allergy and they're thinking about it. And they've they've taken a bunch of steps to mitigate and make it as good as possible an experience for their guest. At the same time, you've asked that question or our listener has asked that question. They haven't heard. So they don't know and they're still wondering. And I, I think ultimately the answer here is that if you're concerned, you ask again. You ask a second time and right. you bring it up and you do it as casually as possible that you don't need to mention – I've asked this before and I didn't hear from you and I really want to know that that finding a tone and a spirit that's, hey, I wanted to check in about cats and I'm so looking forward to your visit. I can't wait to see you. I've got a bunch of great things planned and I also just want to be sure that I've checked in with you that we do have cats and we're going to X, Y, and Z. I think you can go through some of the steps that, that were outlined in the question about how you're trying to minimize that contact time, but that it's unavoidable that there might be some exposure and you want to you want to be sure that's okay. And I think it's really wonderful that you're taking care of your cats. Just because the solution is maybe something that someone else does, for example, put your cats in this one section of the house and, and let them be there, it may or may not work for you. And so having this kind of hybrid solution that works hopefully for your cats and for your guest is is probably the best way to go. You got to think about the safety of the cat too. There's it seems like there's a genuine safety concern on the animal side of this equation and and yeah. that does factor in. I also find myself reflecting on a conversation that I had just this morning where I was talking with someone who was looking for comment about a particular behavior, particular etiquette behavior and I was really hesitant to comment on a particular bad behavior. But in returning to etiquette principles, I found myself saying what's really important is putting other people's comfort at the at the top of your priority list, mm-hmm. maybe even ahead of your own. Mm-hmm. And I see that basic awareness in this question. When you talk about giving up your own bedroom, your own bed, because you think that it might just be a little bit cleaner, a little bit nicer for your guests when you're talking about – organizing time and activities outside the apartment and planning those ahead of time, partially to minimize the contact hours that are spent in that small space, I think that you're really showing that that awareness of other people's comfort and you're demonstrating your care for them in doing that. It also occurred to me as I was reading this question that our listener might not have heard from their potential guest because everything that they've suggested sounds about right. Yeah. That if there was a major concern – our future house guests would probably have said something about it if 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 we were in that territory where there was a real health risk, a real um, serious allergy that 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 couldn't be ignored. That the communication has happened with enough forethought and enough care that would give the person a chance to say something about it. But I do think if it's still in your mind, you can check in again and be sure that that message was received. I totally agree. Nothing like checking in again just to make sure. 
future host, I hope this helps. If Lizzie Post were here, she would have a, a real clean sample script for you. We kind of danced around it a little bit. Something like, I'm so looking forward to your visit. It's been too long. I can't wait to show you my hometown. I also wanted to double check about your cat allergy. Can't wait to see you. I think there's some kind of sample script in there that's going to get you into that conversation in a way that is going to work for everyone. Good luck. Fluffy and Tommy are beautiful cats. Is there anything more fun than a family of little kittens? Our next question is a quick one that came in via Twitter about wanting apologies. At Emily Postinst, can you talk about apologies when both sides are in the wrong? My misstep was first. Hers was far more profound, but prompted by mine. I'd like to apologize, but I dislike the idea of assuming all the blame when her rudeness caused me such distress. Hashtag awesome etiquette. Ooh, this is a good question. I think so too. I mean, I can think of so many instances in my own life with siblings or with good friends, with partners, where you just want to deal with the whole thing. You want to take your part and and apologize, but at the same time, you do not want to to take all that blame because you know what? You didn't do all the wrong. So what do you do? Good question. What would you – if you had someone in your office Mm -hmm. and it was a therapy session, what would you be asking them? What would you be telling them? I think I would ask them what they want to get out of it, what it is that they want to feel after this interaction. Maybe they want to feel calm. They want to feel peaceful. They want to feel like they've done their part. And so based on that kind of evoking of that feeling, I would take the the next steps to make that happen, to make that type of interaction result in those feelings. So the first thing would be apologize for what you've done wrong. Own it. And find peace in yourself about how... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Having done those things wrong, if there's anything you want to change in your future actions, you can commit yourself to that and probably in that interaction commit that publicly to the other person and let that be what it is. I think the tricky part is having an expectation that the other person is now going to apologize also. So watching out for that desire for kind of like a tit for tat. And and if if you have that, maybe sit on those feelings for a little bit. Maybe you're not quite ready to bring up this conversation. And maybe you say to yourself, when I am calm about this, when I when I actually can can have this conversation and not expect something back, then I'll have it. And then just just wait, see what happens. For me, it's really interesting to think about process when we approach this question because I, at the Emily Post Institute, we're so often in the advice-giving business. And I know that in your practice, you try not to drive to advice. You try to, to listen to people and draw solutions that make sense for them mm-hmm. out of their experience. And it's 
also remarkable to me that we get to a very similar place. Mm-hmm. That when I when I think about the advice that I would give here, I say to myself, "You got to control what you can control." Exactly. And your reactions and your responses are all that you really have control of, and you offer the apology that you feel inspired to offer. If there's a wrong that you can see that that you can take some ownership of and you can make a situation a little bit better by owning it, I think you you, you do that. I also like your awareness and concern about taking on blame that you don't feel belongs to you and how that's not healthy. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways I think to avoid having that worry prevent you from offering the apology that would make you feel better, that, that, that is part of, of, of your contribution to the ultimate solution, is to really face it and to think about your desire for that from the other person and to recognize that you don't have a lot of control over that. And that entering that conversation with some awareness of that already in mind sets you up well to deliver your apology well without expecting an immediate reply or even having a, a standard for what that apology might sound like or or entail. I was thinking here that it would be hard not to not to want the other person to accept their greater responsibility. That mm-hmm. if you apologize for your initial and small infraction and this much more profound and egregious infraction that followed is all of a sudden feels like it has equal weight to your initial fault. E- even that could grate a little bit and mm-hmm. you don't want that feeling of irritation to start to infect the the genuine sincerity of your own apology, which is hard. So take a breath, account for what you've done wrong, own it yourself, and then take another breath and and tell the person, apologize genuinely, and walk away knowing that you've done what you can do. Model the behavior. I think you've upped the chances that you're going to get that apology you're hoping for dramatically, exponentially. Right. And you know what? Worst case scenario, if you don't get it, at least you've done your part. I love it. That high road is a nice place to be. Yep. Wanting apologies, I think we all want to see more genuine, sincere, appropriate apologies, and we join you in that desire. And look, this dispute was settled fairly, and so Jerry and Eddie are still good friends, just as they always were. It's worthwhile to know many ways to settle disputes. Thank you for your questions. You can send updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your questions on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today's feedback comes from Sarah. It's regarding notifying parents of sick kids before playdates. She says, Good afternoon, Lizzie and Dan. I love listening to your podcast. I did want to add one touch of additional feedback to the person who asked in episode 172 about the proper way of notifying playdates of a child's illness. My feedback is this. Once you've given the information to the other people, be prepared for the other person to decide to cancel on you on the day of, and please accept this without taking it personally. Recently, I've had an occasion where a couple had notified us that their children were sick the night before, and they were, quote-unquote, pretty sure it was food poisoning and not the flu. However, they couldn't be sure. And due to our children recently being ill and missing quite a bit of school, we decided it wasn't worth the risk to bring our kids around them and canceled the meeting. Unfortunately, the couple we canceled on, the ones with the sick kids, were hurt by our decision and told us that our choice was making their children sad and upset. 
They also refused to reschedule with us for another week. We'll try again in a few weeks later after they've cooled off, but this has frustrated me big time. They should have known that was a potential real possibility. Anyhow, please just make sure anyone who does warn the other parents about a child's recent illness is prepared to deal with the cancellation with grace. Thank you. I sincerely appreciate all you do, Sarah. This is a world you and I have entered. <laughs> That's definitely true. It's a pretty common discussion. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply for parents to have with each other about the health of their kids before you get them together, particularly when maybe one of the children's slightly immune compromised. Yeah. So we have this discussion regularly, Sarah, and I would absolutely um, add the point of emphasis that you bring to this discussion that there's a very real possibility when you're having a discussion about health and health concerns that someone might adjust their plans accordingly. In fact, that's why that's the purpose of having the discussion to begin with. I think being prepared to deal with those changes of plans gracefully is I would call it a price of admission for having this conversation. It's a prerequisite and I think it makes perfect sense. And I'm sorry that you dealt with a situation where someone responded in a way that was upset and I can understand your frustration at that response. And also know that you're making the good call for your own kids. And that's your responsibility. You have to be an advocate for them. They are not making that call. Your kids want to play. They want to hang out. And their kids, this friend of yours, kids are going to be sad and upset. But you know what? In a few weeks, you guys can hang out again. And so framing the whole conversation around, we really want to hang out, but now is not a good time. Let's do this again when everybody's feeling better. Sarah, thanks for your feedback. We had some great feedback from Faith. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. This is Faith. I'm listening to your Christmas episode, and I wanted to call with a little feedback about the question about the boss paying for a holiday happy hour for his staff. I can really identify with the question asker's husband on this because the way I was raised, I always feel guilty when people pay for things for me. And I came up against a similar situation when I started my first job after college. Uh, my grand boss, that's my boss's boss, always took the entire office out to lunch anytime someone had a birthday. And this wasn't something he could have been reimbursed for, so he was definitely paying out of his own pocket. And I always felt bad about it, but he always insisted that it was something he, he enjoyed, that he liked being able to treat us. So eventually, like the question asker suggested, I came to accept that, that generosity in the spirit in which it was given. So you don't want to take the joy out of somebody's kind act by refusing to accept it, but you can always find another way to repay them. And I kind of think, well, what if I were the boss hosting this happy hour who, and who had invited everyone and committed a personal uh, part of my personal budget to do it? You know, if, if people showed up and were just drinking water, I'd be kind of hurt, you know, like people didn't really want to be there. So I encourage this person to go to the event and participate heartily. I'm sure the event has passed now, but, you know, in the future. Anyway, thanks as always for the great podcast, but and um, I hope you're having a, a wonderful new year and have a great day. Bye. 
Faith, thank you for the feedback and thank you for leaving us a message. I love hearing the voices of our listeners. So please keep those those verbal questions and feedback coming. I also just want to say I, I, I love this um, grand boss. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> the boss of my boss. That's a great title. I also really like your strategy of putting yourself in the other person's shoes and thinking about how you would like the people around you to behave if you were in their position and then behaving accordingly. I think that willingness to take someone else's perspective is is really often a great way to find a solution that's going to work for that other person in, a, in any situation. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and taking someone else's shoes kind of takes the pressure off yourself. You just get to sit in their perspective for a minute and learn what's going on in their world. And it gives great insight into how to and how you need to respond in a way that makes sense for you, too. Thanks, Faith. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us that message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's postscript is inspired by our guest and <laughs> is all about the concept of etiquette. And rather than than approach this postscript as a research topic the way we often do, I thought that I would play interviewer and ask a question of Pooja Senning. What did you think about etiquette before you met me? And I'm curious if that thought has changed or evolved and where it is now. So please take take us away a little bit on the concept of etiquette. Sure. So the first time that I was sitting with you, it was actually our first date, and you brought up that you are the great-great-grandson of Emily Post. And we were at a restaurant, and I just remember all of a sudden kind of my body getting tight, crossing my legs, putting my hands up on the table and kind of touching silverware, being like, oh my gosh, where where is my my spoon and my fork and are they in the right place? So I had a minor freak out. Thinking to myself, must have been a minor freak out because I didn't notice it happened. <laughs> well, it was a minor freak out. I did kind of cinch up and, and I was like, wait, I'm sitting with this etiquette master. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what do I do? And really, what am I doing wrong? Was the question. But I think that as I've gotten to know you. And your family, the thing that's come up for me is etiquette is how to treat yourself and other people well. So you're taking into consideration everybody. And it puts you at ease. Thank goodness I don't need to be in a marriage where I'm feeling buttoned up all the time. But instead, I think that a lot of it is common sense. And it's being able to be friendly with your family and friends and have good relationships. So you have less stress. And I think sometimes it means being um, maybe more direct, having conversations with people, asking them questions like, oh, would you want the cats in the living room? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Whereas maybe before you would just kind of do what you think you were meant to do. I think etiquette makes you be more aware of these things and more transparent. Parent, pardon me. It makes you be more transparent about these concepts. But that ultimately results in better relationships. I don't have a whole lot to add. I, I asked the question not knowing exactly what reply we were going to get today. And 
um, in sort of imagining the different things that you you might say, it got me really thinking about what what is etiquette? What does it mean to me? And has that changed for me over the course of our relationship also? And I know I've certainly learned a lot from you over the course of our discussions about what etiquette is. And I've heard you tell this story before about our first date <laughs> in this moment of – and um, I, I don't think it's – um, uncommon. I've heard my grandfather tell that story about when he introduced his fiance at the time, my grandmother Elizabeth Post, to his grandmother Emily Post, and um, her nervousness about that first meeting. And he loved that story because he loved to tell people how quickly Emily Post put her at ease, that one of her great skills as a human was how comfortable she was with other people and how she could communicate that comfort and ease in a way that put others at ease. And that's the same with you, I have to say. I think that feeling of holding my breath in lasted for about four seconds. And by the end of the conversation, I was like, this guy is not stiff at all, you know? Well, th- I could thank get you along with for him. including me, <laughs> and I'm glad you did. <laughs> um, was there ever a moment when your your worst fears were realized when you found yourself in a situation where you said, boy, I, I, I feel eyes upon me? You know, I think the reason why I get along so well with you and your family is because I don't feel that way. I don't feel like people are watching me for my missteps. I feel like people are looking at me and are proud of me and and what I bring to to the family. So the, so no, actually, I haven't had that. Not in this type of etiquette way. I, I think it's more inclusive than that. And I think that that's the heart of the message and your family gets that. And that's why I believe in what you do. It is true, though, that for a lot of people, I think that that holding of breath, that catching of breath at even the, the, the mention of the word etiquette or the thought of etiquette is is a real response. And it's a genuine response. And as much as I think that sincerity and um, being genuine is an important part of etiquette, I think that acknowledging that there is some nervousness that comes with that idea of of examining the people around us or even ourselves with a critical eye, the nervousness that comes with that can can be paralyzing or difficult. And that if you can – I know there's something you talk about in your practice, breathe through that moment in some ways that there's a lot of insight to be gained from being willing to, to make that examination. And when I thought about sort of where I was with etiquette even four or five years ago and where I am today, more and more I find myself – in that place of wanting to encourage the people that I talk to and myself to think of etiquette as a tool for making improvements, for looking at our own actions and thinking about just the little tweaks and touches that we can make to improve the quality of the relationships that we have with other people. So there, there, there is a little bit of a, an awareness of a gap or a distance between the place we'd like to be and the place that we are for me in terms of the way etiquette can work as a tool as long as it doesn't incapacitate us in the process. So there's this this quality of, of an appreciation of ease and a looking for ease and an also of a willingness to get a little bit better as we look for that feeling. So anyway, that's the, 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 the sort of complicating element that I wanted to add to today's discussion also because you and I often have conversations that I find um, complicated and delicious because they are complicated. So thank you for, for getting us into one today. Oh, my pleasure. 
I'll bet when you meet a new girl, you notice everything she likes, so you can be nice to her. Well, you can do the same thing with your family. We'd like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come to us in so many forms. Today we have, hi Lizzie and Dan. I have an etiquette salute. Today for Today we have Tessa. Oh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> that makes more sense. Today we have Tessa. She says, "Hi Lizzie and Dan. I have an etiquette salute from my for my dear friend Alyssa." I started a hand-lettering company a few months ago, and she was the first one on the list to support me. She was pregnant at the time, so she asked me if I'd write a sign for her daughter to put in her room. After her baby was born, I sent her a package with a few hand-lettered pieces of art to put on her wall. She sent me the sweetest text telling me how much she loved them, and she wrote me a thank you note in the mail. She is a great friend, even from thousands of miles away. Thank you, Tessa. Oh, Tessa, thank you for sharing your etiquette salute with all of us. I love those hand-lettered pieces of art. Yes, and also we love things coming in the mail. So thank you for encouraging thank you notes. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post, and Lizzie is at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Help us out. You can become a sustaining member of this podcast by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com and making a monthly contribution. Or subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. And we say together, Thanks, Thanks Chris. Chris.